You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Hey friends, I'm Diana. I'm going to be reading the teaching text. It's a bit of a long one, so everyone just place your feet on the ground. Yeah, just get ready to hear the reverent word of God together. This is Proverbs 2, verses 12 to 22. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning church. It's been a minute. Uh, I've had the pleasure of the last two months uh, just listening to some of the amazing teachers God has blessed this community with and hearing how they have uh, brought us the word of the Lord for edification and encouragement. And as we've been going through this series on, on Proverbs and Sophia, these discourses on wisdom, uh, and I loved last week when Tina, our new elder, uh, gave us a great word. Uh, she started off with this, this I'm going to give some facts about myself. And she felt like a good teacher always kind of starts with some facts. And I was like, well, that's pretty smart. Uh, it's been a couple of months. Maybe I should do the same. And so I will give you a, a, a fact you may not know about me. Um, most of my life, I have loved poetry. Yeah, that's okay. A couple of poetry fans in this. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, I am not going to tell you uh, where it is or how to find it, but there is a uh, not so insignificant podcast that highlights the performance of some of my uh, cringiest teenage love poems. Um, so you can consider that an Easter egg. Good luck. Uh, but uh, yeah, ever since, you know, it started with Dr. Seuss and then it just moved on from there, Maya Angelou, uh, Langston Hughes, Langliev, oh, love poetry, before I first fell in love, before I fell in love with words, with setting skies and singing birds, I first fell in love with you. Come on. Uh, On from there, uh, Paul Salon, John Donne, Wendell Berry, now Hanif Adur Akib. I'm like, I just love poetry. 
And my favorite poem, if I had to tell you, uh, has been one that has stuck with me since I first read it, a teenager in high school, and it's uh, Shakespeare, a little basic, I know, but, um, but it's his Sonnet 130. And if you've never heard it, uh, there's also an incredible recitation of it by uh, the late Alan Rickman. You can find it probably anywhere. He does such a great job. But uh, it it goes like this. It says, uh, my mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done. If hair be wires, black wires grow from her head. I have seen roses damask red and white, yet no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak. Yet well I know music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I've never seen a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. And yet, by heaven, I think my love as rare as any she belied with false compare. All right, there's two reasons I love this song. I didn't write it, I didn't write it. Um, but there's two reasons I love this poem. Uh, first is mostly because it's petty. Uh, I, and I have known to be a petty Murphy in my lifetime. Um, if you don't know much about poetry, so in the Elizabethan period, it's like 1600s, late 1500s, the time of William Shakespeare, uh, the, the predominant form of poetry was the sonnet. And the sonnets were just effusive love poems, and they were so hyperbolic, and it was like pop songs, you know, just sugary sweet love. And in the midst of this, William Shakespeare, who's like one of the obviously most famous poets at the time, he writes this sonnet that's just like so sticking it to every other person writing those things about how their, their love is like the, the rising sun who, who, who warms my light and gives my bones the ability to come from the dark cold of night. Uh, and he's just like, nah, my love, her breath stinks, but I love her. <laughs> so petty, and I just love it. But the second reason is because it's so real. And I'm, I'm not much for sentimentality or like, you know, uh, flattery. I'm just kind of a straight, no chaser kind of guy. And so I kind of just love this, this, this idea of a love that's rooted in genuineness and authenticity. Right? right? When you're like, I don't know, maybe it's because like I was never into like fairy tale love because I never looked like the princes on any of the movies. You know, I need like a Shrek kind of love, like someone who's just gonna <laughs> see me for me and all the layers of this onion, you know? <laughs> but it's based in something real. A love that lets you be bloated and tired and hairy, who loves you after garlic bread. I find it really beautiful. 
We've been in the series, uh, Sophia, and I'm going to tell you why I told you all that in a second, but I just want to recap this for those who haven't been in the room. Uh, we've been looking at the, the Proverbs of, of the Christian people based into the Proverbs of, of the Hebrew people, uh, and we've been looking at these, these, these statements. If, if you know much about Proverbs, it, it, was, it served as, as kind of like the, the common, the knowledge of Israel. Right? And it touched on everything from money to relationships to spirituality and how you should live your life. And it's usually condensed into these like short little pithy statements that kind of just tell you everything you, you kind of need for life. And, it's, and that's in the larger context of, of an ancient Near East where there were all sorts of, of codes and ways that you should live. There was all sorts of, of wisdom, if you will, uh, and so here, for these people, for the Israelite people, they have their own book of wisdom. But the thing I love about Proverbs is that it, it places its wisdom in a true experience of what it means to be human, at least in my estimation and as I read it. And so just like that sonnet, it's what draws me to the Proverbs, and in particular, our teaching text for the day. We are closing out this series and we're gonna end right beside where we began. A few weeks ago, and I encourage you if you weren't here or haven't listened to it to go back, as Ryan opened us up and he talked about kind of the, the form and function of, of wisdom in the Hebrew culture and now press forward into us as, as Christians and followers of Jesus. And he talked about for, for, the, for the ancient Israelites, for the Hebrew people, that, that wisdom was based in a person. Proverbs 1 says that the, the beginning, the, the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this fear, it's a weird word, but it's talking about proper respect, proper awe and reverence, this, this kind of that thing that happens with no matter who you think, how you feel about the person that's president of this country, if they walk in, there's something about the, the title and the office that they carry that kind of demands a, a bit of a capitulation, a bit of a leaning in, a bit of a respect. And so this concept of wisdom that we've been unpacking is really rooted in its foundation is in our proper view of God from which this wisdom flows. So that's the form and the function. It teaches you how to live and how to make decisions. It, it colors the way you move in the world. But it's this view of the world that I find most intriguing. Because a lot of times when we get laws and when we develop codes and when we develop moral ethics and, and, and wisdoms, they can sometimes deal with, a, with an idyllic world, right? Like, you know, I remember growing up and my family, we would always listen to uh, Dave Ramsey, maybe you've heard of him. He's like financial wisdom guru. And he had all these things about how you needed to like save money and envelopes and I don't know, all this kind of stuff my parents listened to. Uh, and it was just like, if you like do these things, if you just put aside a thousand dollars a month, like you and all your children will be secured for life. 
And I'm like, $1,000 a month? My family's literally cracking open like uh, candy dispensers we found to get the quarters out. Like, we don't have a thousand. We got like $10 a month and that has to go to gas. We're running at a deficit here. So the idea of saving just seems like a privilege. I get it may be wise, but it's not the world that I live in. You hear what I'm saying? And in the same way, we can oftentimes come into the Proverbs or into the wisdom of God and we can kind of treat it like we treat other wisdoms that it's kind of like these, these, these fortune cookies. And we can hear the Proverbs and we can think that it's just telling us like, hey, if you just get your life right, if you just stop like hanging out with that loser, you know, I know it's your brother, but <laughs> if you just leave New York City, that place is a hellhole, according to my grandparents, um, <laughs> then you will be able to find wisdom and live a happy and successful life. But you're like, I like it here. But that's actually not the call of the, of the Proverbs and of the wisdom of God. And I think that's evident in our teaching text today. So we're in Proverbs 2. So again, Proverbs 1 gives us the form and the function of, of how the wisdom of God works and, and it being rooted in proper respect of him. And then Proverbs 2, it starts to talk about the conditions in which this wisdom thrives. The conditions for which this wisdom was made. I just wanted to spend a little time looking at those conditions and what flows from that. So again, we'll just jump back in in verse 12 where we began. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Here the writer of Proverbs is, is, is telling us the conditions for which the wisdom of God uh, is, is best utilized and, and is written for. And, and as you look at that, as you kind of see, I've kind of highlighted that in the beginning it's all dealing with kind of circumstances and places. The ways of wicked men, the straight paths, the dark ways, the crooked paths, devious in their ways, any place where there's a perverseness of evil. Now, to really understand what's happening here, we, we have to do a little bit of work. And that's really around our concept of what it means to be evil and what is evil. In our Western American, you know, mindset, when we talk about evil, we're talking about like Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, we're talking about like the Gilgal murderer. We're talking about like Big Pharma, you know? Like we're talking about these things that like, that like rob and are so clearly just like malevolent and like just like, you know, have a, have, a, have a pitchfork and a tail. But that's not the Hebrew concept of evil. When it talks about the perverseness of evil, it's actually talking about something a lot more nuanced. When you go through that, that word for evil in, in Hebrew, ra, it's actually a borrowed word from the Egyptians, uh, their, you know, God of death, I don't know. But uh, the Hebrews have this word ra, and the word that we translate evil, it's used for things across the Hebrew text, like 
a, a rotten fig, an abscess tooth, a wild animal, a downcast countenance. All these things are labeled evil. Even God, throughout the Hebrew scriptures at time, is said to have like caused evil and brought evil. And it's like, well, how do I square that? Because see, when the Hebrew and this, and this ancient Near East, when they're talking about evil, what they're actually talking about is something that's just not right. They're not actually talking about something concrete, they're talking about the absence of something and the way that we talk about darkness. If I tell you to make it dark in this room, you couldn't go get it from the back. You would have to close the blinds and shut out the light because darkness is describing the absence of light. So in the Hebrew mind, when it's talking about evil, it's not talking about just the, the, the person that murders or, or steals or curses. No, it's talking about anything that deviates from the goodness and the harmony of God. Because that was the standard. They call it shalom or peace. You've probably heard that word. And the shalom, what it referred to, was the interconnectedness of all things. It's like the harmonies of boys to men. Like they're just all just like right there. That's the goodness of God. <laughs> and so if you threw me in there, which you probably heard because I have no shame, you know, you throw my harmony in there and this is all gonna fall apart. And the Hebrew people would call that evil. <laughs> because this is something disharm disharmonious. It's disordering. It's not the way things were intended to be. Your body was not made actually from its creator to break down, but to live forever in wholeness. And yet, because of our disconnect from the one that sustains us, everything starts to break down. And so I get abscesses in my tooth. Animals which are, which are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in creation, now they are wild and ornery and they attack instead of us being in good relationship. That is evil. So the wisdom of God, as it talks about these places and circumstances, the ways of wicked men and these straight paths and these dark ways, when it's talking about, what it's talking about is right in the middle, that perverseness of evil. Wisdom of God is made for a world where everything's just not right. Where everything's just not right which for me brings it down into my life. Because I, I don't really like worry about murderers on my day to day, but I do worry about like all sorts of disorder. Like this week, my son, he's four years old and he picks the one day, my, the one day I had to even work on this teaching to just sit before the Lord. That was the day that he was sick and needed to stay home. The highest and darkest of evils. <laughs> disordered my whole week. So I need wisdom for that because I can't plan for it. And it's not always, 
It's not always so clear cut, this evil. Like I told you, I, I grew up in a pretty financially insecure home and th there was a history of, of financial illiteracy uh, that was, was both a, a result of, of my culture and community not, not having the, the resources and being robbed of the resources to develop it, but also existing within a system that purposely kind of shut them out from, from, from literacy and the ability to move ahead in financial uh, advancement. And so I grew up in that, and I remember like when I turned 18, uh, here was like, here was Chase ready to say happy birthday with a $3,500 credit card. I was like, dope, bet. 18 is great, who wants, who wants San Jose's? I was taking everybody out to dinner. I charged that baby up. We were maxed out so fast, I had to get another one. And I spent all this money just literally just on like doing what I never could, being the person that had money, who could help, who could feed, who could pick up the bill. And then I was in financial trouble. And then I had to turn to all these ways, checking the cash and all these things to try to get myself out of this hole. And all it did was just pile on disorder on disorder on top of disorder. <clears throat> and my path was crooked. I couldn't find my way forward. My relationships fell out of harmony because I couldn't afford to pay my, my, my roommate rent. And those are based off of, yes, systemic things, but also my own choices. And it didn't seem that nefarious. And yet the scriptures actually would call it evil. There was some intention there. And it brought disorder. And yet there's a wisdom for that. There was a wisdom for me in that place. It was the wisdom of God. But it's not always just our circumstances and our situations, right? For which we need wisdom. So Proverbs goes on. Verse 16, it says, Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. No one who go to her return or attain the passive life. <clears throat> There's a shift now as, as the, the writer of Proverbs is talking about this wisdom and what it's for. Yes, it's for the, the circumstances and, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> um, the places and the circumstances of evil, but also the people and the influences. So you can see it highlighted, this adulterous woman, this wayward woman who left the partner of her youth, ignored God, goes down to the spirit of the dead. These are all these, these negative place, people and influences that come. Thank you. Because sometimes it's just not the situations that it's in, <clears throat> that we're in, but it's, the people that we're around. 
And we all know the kind of stereotypical understanding of this. Again, when we, we talk about it's kind of this, this, this wayward woman, we can kind of get this picture of a person who's just out for evil. We've all got that friend <clears throat> that you know you probably should say goodnight to <clears throat> before midnight. Because <laughs> anything they suggest after that is not going to be good. It'll be fun, but it will not be good. But it's more than that. The, the word when actually talks about this adulterous woman to the, to the Israelites who would read this, uh, yes, there was a concept of, of, the, of the foreigner, or kind of the, this kind of idea of, of those who, who didn't live under the wisdom of God, right? But there's also the same word has, a, has this other context of those who were, who were within the Israelite culture who were people that obeyed the wisdom of God, this, this but this person had kind of moved away from it in the way they lived their life. This is what's being referred to, it talks about this, this idea of a, of a woman who ignored the covenant she made before God. So it wasn't just like city girls and boys, you know, it wasn't just that. But it was also people who, who knew better and yet had come to a place in their life where they were just living crooked. And maybe it looks like this. There's the people you chose and there's the people you didn't choose. We call them family. And maybe you know the brokenness of family. And you've needed saving from your family. And maybe your family of origin has led down to death. Well, the wisdom of God is for that. The wisdom of God is for those relationships, for the people we just can't cut off, or for the people for which whom we need to establish some boundaries. It gives us the wisdom for how to navigate those relationships and the influences that they present on our lives. I've sat with a lot of you and so I know, I know that this resonates because a lot of us are carrying some family trauma and family wounds. But, but the writer of Proverbs tells us that wisdom will save us from even them. But that is if we choose the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God isn't forced upon you, it's something that you, you accept. Not something, but someone, actually. Because remember, when we go back to Proverbs 1, the call is, the, 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 the really beautiful thing about the Hebrew code, about the wisdom of the ancient Israelites that prepared the way for Jesus, is that even at its beginning, at its onset, what's being seeded is that these rules won't save you. These proverbs won't keep you. You can save all you want 
and then something will come through and wipe it all away. You can put your security as you rightly should. Yes, you can build and store away for winter, but you're still storing in money that moss will, will rot and thieves will, will come and take. So you're gonna need something better. Someone better. A relationship that allows you to have someone to sit with you in the midst of these evil circumstances. That helps you order the people in your life. Verse 20 says, for those who choose the wisdom of God, then they will walk in the ways of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. I wanna draw our attention to that phrase, live in the land. That phrase, shakan, it, it has a deeper meaning. It, it's, there's actually a story embedded in that phrase, to live in the land. And it's really kind of the whole story of why we're here. See, the first time that word is used, it's in the aftermath of the arrival of evil. See, the story the story of God, the story that we hold and believe to be true, is that in the beginning, all things were boys to men. <laughs> and then Patrick entered. Disharmony entered. Someone tried to go it alone. Isn't that how it always is? The moment they put their finger to their ear, you know, <laughs> this is not gonna end well. That warble hits and everything that was good, creation, mankind, God, they were all just together and then they were all starting to fray. All the relationships were broken. And God, the creator of everything, not just any God, but Yahweh, the Hebrew God who, who had put all this into motion, says that these things that, 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 that are in disharmony, well, they have to be separated. The people that chose to do it their own way, who decided to just try to hit that solo, they have put everything out of whack. And so they can't be with everything else because they'll just continue to ruin everything. And so he takes them and he puts them east of Eden. And then he takes these two angels. And the Bible says that he puts them out, out of the garden, this perfect place, the harmonious place. He takes them apart and he puts them, these two angels there with swords, and they shakan. These, these angels stand there and they keep the disharmony from spreading and, and taking over everything. That's the first use of this word in the scriptures. These angels dwelling right there, marking off the boundaries of what was harmonious. Then it goes forward. These people, they, civilizations arise, they're moving on, and, and there's these, these people, the Israelites, for which God has used them and is using them to tell the whole world. Kind of, they're kind of a test case 
to prove to the whole world that there is one true God, that there is one true wisdom. This God is, the God of the Israelites is walking with them and he says, hey, I wanna dwell with you again. I wanna live in the land with you again. I wanna shakam with you. And he says, I want you to build a temple and in it, I want you to put this, this big box that I'm gonna live. And on the top of it, you're gonna put two angels, just like the one that was blocking you from that place of harmony? Well, here's this other place of harmony. It's where I live, right between those two angels. But this time I'm not so far away. I've gotten a little closer. You can find me. I'm in this big tent. Now, you can't just walk in there. Not everyone could just walk into the tent. Only certain people who, had, who went through so much rituals to clean themselves, and only then a certain period could they go in and be reminded of the harmony that was on offer. And then the harmony needed to spread a little wider. And God makes his promise. He says, listen, I'm coming again to Shekhan to live in the land, to dwell with you, to, to bring more harmony in your midst. I'm coming, wait for me. And this is gonna be for everyone, not just this, this test case to people. Not just this one people, but anybody will be able to know the harmony that I have to offer. So this is why when Jesus is born, he is given the name Emmanuel, God with us. The harmony returns. The harmony was a man that showed people a harmonious way to live. And he did it so well, people killed him for it. Because, because to people who can't hit a note, we hate people who can. Because you reflect to us what we can't do. And instead of saying, will you teach me your ways? We say, get away from me. And so they did that to Jesus. And he let them do it. And then we believe that after he was murdered, placed in a tomb, that after three days, the Son of God, the harmony in human form, it came out of a tomb and showed you that there's nothing you can do to stop this train. This harmony is moving. We're all gonna learn our parts. He's here to teach us. And it doesn't matter how bad you sing, he's gonna get you right. And so he comes out of a tomb and he starts teaching the people that he'd been teaching, these 12, 12, 12 men and, and this band of women and men behind, beyond them. He sent them out into the world and he said, start teaching people how to sing. It's a simple melody. Love your neighbor and love me. That's the harmony. That's the harmony. Love me, love each other, but in ways that is nuanced and real. And then Jesus says, finally, but the harmony won't work if you all have to keep coming to me. This one man, there's a lot of you all. This orchestra's too big. So I'm going to give you a spirit. 
and I'm gonna place my spirit within each of you. So that way you can learn to sing wherever you are. Whatever you're doing, whatever evil place you find yourself in, with whatever evil person you find yourself beside, I will be there to show you wisdom and how to take that disordered place and that disordered person and invite them into harmony. You will become agents of harmony. But you need my spirit. You've gotta keep coming back to me to be reminded of the song, to be reminded of the melody. I'm using all sorts of musical terms. I don't even know if this is right. But I think you're tracking with me. Here's the deal. We're wrapping up. Then you can come back up. If you've sat through these last weeks of Proverbs, if you go and pick up your Bible and turn to Proverbs and just try to find some rules to live by, you will find some stuff that will be relatively helpful. It is true and it is good, but if you try to treat it as a rule book and a manual for living, uh, you will find that it, it has nothing to say about how to live your life on social media. Uh, it has nothing to say with how to interact with AI. It has nothing to say about inflation. And you know, it has nothing to say about 401k and retirement. Like, it doesn't say those words. So if you're looking for some rules to keep, you're, you're going to be piecing a lot of things together. But if you go into the book of Proverbs and see the character of a God and how he sings, you will learn what harmony sounds like. And then when you choose to receive the Spirit of God, you will have that harmony in your ear. So no matter where you go, no matter who you're with, you will know what is right. And you will know what's out of tune. And you will actually be able to call those things into harmony. That's the invitation. And so if you this morning are in a place where you feel just out of harmony and have been for a while, there's gonna be a prayer team up here and they're gonna make their way now. Uh, they would love to just sing a little song into your ear, not an actual song. But they're just gonna, they're just gonna pray over you. And I wonder that as they pray for you, if you will listen and see how the words resonate with your heart. And if it sounds a little bit like the harmony your life has been looking for. And maybe you know this song, but you've feeling listless. You haven't been going back. So you know bits and pieces, but maybe there's an invitation today to be reminded of the song you were made to sing, of the harmony you were made to carry. We wanna invite you for prayer. And then we're actually gonna sing, and we are gonna use our voices together to put them in harmony, not necessarily in musical notes, but in, but in appreciation, in a shared love of a God who saves 
and calls us all together. Look around this room. This is a pretty crazy room. I don't know how we all made it in here. But we're all going to sing the same songs to the same God. And isn't that a pretty beautiful thing? And then lastly, we're going to come to the table. Because the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts and it speaks to our minds and influences our emotions, but it also has something to say about our bodies. And so we need this melody in our very bones. And so we come to the table to be reminded that we're learning from a God who has come and lived among us and knows all the words, who has died and has come again so that we can learn how to live in harmony with God and each other. So I'm gonna bring forward our communion servers and they are gonna stand ready to serve you the bread and the wine. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. I've been broken for you. I've been disordered so I can show you that I can take disorder and bring it back to harmony, even if that disorder is death. And here is the blood that's symbolized by this juice. This is the blood of the new covenant because I'm teaching you a new song. It's an old song sung in a new way. So would you stand? Whether you need to come and receive prayer lost or listless come to the table and be reminded of the song that's been sung for you or whether you need to bring your body and use your own voice to sing praises to God may we respond to the wisdom of the Lord we thank you Lord we thank you Amen